Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do i use on my racket i use the mega tack you're going to be attacking with that mega tack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at cracked rackets you know i'm a hairy guy as you can imagine i sweat when i play the only grip that works for me is the turn of tennis grip of course the mega tack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turn of grip today it's simple you're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to no ad no problem a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game we'll discuss news results and a ton of adjacent topics in between. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. All right, so if you haven't seen, I posted on my blog an article about uh, the recent NCAA Tennis Committee annual meeting that happened in June. I provided some cliff notes on kind of what was discussed, some of the key topics there, including bracket integrity, moving the individuals to the fall, as well as some changes to expect for 2023. And so I thought, you know, having provided those cliff notes and kind of the TLDR, if you will, on the blog, maybe I should hop behind the mic and sort of editorialize and chat about kind of my broader thoughts on these notes, as well as the direction of of the NCAA committee, um, some of these decisions as well. So with that in mind, uh, if you haven't read the article, you can definitely get um, much more details there. Uh, that's on my blog, no ad, no problem. Uh, but what I wanted to do here is just chat through um, and kind of share my thoughts more broadly. So first I'll say, you know, there's a lot of uh, details missing from from these meeting notes, right? So we're just kind of getting their summary of the notes. So there's a lot of references to, okay, the committee reviewed X, Y, and Z. For example, they reviewed the viewership metrics uh, of the Tennis One app streaming numbers. Do they share those numbers in the meeting notes? No, they do not. Uh, so there's a lot of instances where we're not necessarily getting the details that we would maybe like to see or, or like to digest, uh, but there are definitely enough meat on the bone here worth worth chatting about. 
The other thing I'll kind of high level talk about is throughout all the meeting notes, it's nine pages, you see a lot of references to TV, whether that is the committee talking about why it's not only a priority to have the championship stream, but also on TV, whether you hear the ITA kind of provide their feedback on the importance of, quote, linear broadcast uh, or the USTA saying that they're committed to TV as well. Uh, or finally, the the committee making sure that for future hosts' bids starting in 2026, a uh, TV broadcast agreement will be a requirement. That's super exciting to hear. Um, my last article that I published on the site was about how college tennis really lags behind other sports when it comes to being on TV. In fact, of the 30 championships in the 2021-2022 academic year, only five were not on TV, tennis being included in that. So overall, I thought really exciting to see that TV is a priority. Um, you know, Obviously, this past year, having it regress to only be streaming was a huge disappointment. We've kind of spoken about that ad nauseum. So overall, really happy to hear. So let's dive in. I think there were really three main topics that were worth discussing. And the first and probably the biggest is essentially the proposal to dismantle the team and individual championships as we know it. So in today's format, in May, we play both the team championships and we play the singles and doubles tournament essentially back to back, right? You have the team final on a Sunday and then the individual tournament starts on a Monday. That's existed for decades um, and I think there's a general sentiment that it's too long of, of a tournament, right? If you're making it deep in both the team and the individuals, you know, you're there for several weeks. And so kind of reading through these notes, what became apparent was about a year ago, the USTA and the ITA presented a joint proposal to the NCAA Tennis Committee on moving the individual portion of the NCAA event to the fall, more explicitly to November. And so what that would mean is you would have your, you know, NCAA individual tournament, both singles and doubles in November, and then you would play the team portion in the spring. And so I'll talk a little bit about why we're even having this conversation, right? I think one big part of it is what I talked about with the length of the event in May um, and sort of the singles and doubles portions of that being not as much in the spotlight as the team event. Now, in these meeting notes, you don't see the exact proposal outside of you know what I've already discussed. So it's a little tough to say what exactly it would look like and what this could mean for the May event. I'll share kind of some thoughts that I have. I think first, I was really surprised to hear that the ITA has been pushing the move to the fall. The reason being is that the ITA sort of risks irrelevancy as it stands right now, right? They do not own nor operate the crown jewel of the collegiate tennis season, which is the NCAA championships. And over the last few years, you've seen, you know, student athletes start to prioritize, you know, the NCAA portion of the season, aka, you know, May, much more so over what I would dub more the ITA individual portion of the season, which is in the fall. And so I think by moving the NCAA individual tournament to the fall, in many ways, now the ITA doesn't really have a claim to any portion of the season, right? The big thing in the fall is now going to be the NCAA singles and doubles tournament. And in May, it's going to be the NCAA team event. And so 
this will drastically overshadow the individual events that the ITA has, like All-Americans, like their regional uh, fall championships. So that was a big surprise to me, as well as the USTA being a proponent of it as well. I'm not totally clear what exactly the USTA gets out of it or what skin in the game you will uh, by moving to November. So that was one big surprise. And I think it's a concern for for the ITA if we do, in fact, move to November. I think on the flip side, and one thing that people will talk about uh, in terms of you know bifurcating the individual and the team portion of the event is the benefit of that is that the spring is all about the team, right? We don't need to worry about whether or not matches finish. We can play the clinch rule. We don't need to worry about rankings for, for players. Um, and I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think if college tennis wants to expand you know, into different formats, potentially like a simultaneous format. You really need some of those considerations and constraints around individual rankings, all that sort of stuff. You kind of need those thrown out the door. So I think that's one huge benefit, but I am not convinced that tennis has the, all of the bodies, if you will, aligned to what that innovation looks like. So I think we'll probably end up with a team format that looks pretty much identical to what we have today. But at least that 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 ceiling or that opportunity is certainly there uh, to continue to expand. One of the other concerns about moving to the fall is kind of how do you treat seniors and freshmen, right? You know, we've seen players, um, you know, come in their freshman fall and really, you know, continue to grow, whether that's from training both on and off the court with their team to being a whole different player when it comes to the May portion of the event. And so are those players disadvantaged in the same way that a senior might be who kind of is making leaps um, from their fall all the way to to May. And so you might have this sort of lost class, if you will, um, that I think you, you know, should I think we could be concerned about. One other consideration that came up in Champaign when discussing this potential move to the fall was, will the NCAA financially support running two entirely different tournaments, right? One in the fall, one in the spring. I think that that feels like a big open question. I'm curious if that's where maybe the ITA and USTA have partnered together on minimizing some of those operating expenses of managing two separate tournaments rather <clears throat> rather than benefiting from the overhead of having the entire event in one spot. So that's something to consider. And I'd be curious to get some of the more financial details from from this proposal to see um, how they're offsetting that potential change. And then the last portion of the big question for me is, what does this mean for the U.S. Open wildcard, right? Traditionally, if you're an American and you win the NCAA individual tournament, you get a wildcard, a main draw wildcard into the U.S. Open. If this event is now happening in November, does the USTA still uh, make good on that handshake agreement to give a wild card to the following U.S. Open in August? Given that the USTA made the recommendation, I would hope that they're still making that commitment, but that's unclear. So what we know now is that there is a planned survey to all of the uh, ITA coaches uh, going out in July, should be going out this month. They had mentioned early July in the notes, but I'm not hearing that coaches have received that survey yet. I think that survey uh, is supposed to survey coaches on the actual proposal, kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And then the NCAA Tennis Committee will take that information and make their final vote in August. 
The one other thing I would add is, you know, as we've moved to the super regional format with only three matches, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals at the final site, I do think this idea of like, oh, this tournament is going on too long. In some ways, we're like we're lengthening the team event, yet we have concerns that it's already too long. And we're lengthening by having these multiple weekends, right? We have the first and second rounds, followed by another weekend for the Super Regional, followed by another weekend for the final site. And so I think if you strip out the individual portion of that, I think you really need to reconsider bringing back the round of 16 to the final site to make that feel more substantive. I think three matches feels a little lightweight for uh, for the crown jewel of the college season. So anyways, much more to come. We should be finding out how the committee votes in August. I'm very curious to see what those details look like, how it all be run. Um, so much more to come there. And that was certainly the headline of the meeting notes. As we move on to some other sections, uh, one of the other things that I saw was this idea of geographic proximity versus bracket integrity. And I think one of the main concerns of the 2022 NCAA bracket was that there was no bracket integrity as a criteria for for making the draw, right? The current policies for making the NCAA draw uh, only look at geographic proximity, And so this year, that means a school like Arizona State on the women's side ranked, I believe, 17. Rather than playing, you know, a 16 seed in that round of 32, they actually were sent to number two seed Oklahoma. Right. And then you have a lot of other situations where you might have the number 16 seed playing a number 33 seed in the round of 32. And so you heard a lot of complaints, both from coaches and fans around bracket integrity. One of the things that was very clear in reading these meeting notes is that the NCAA committee also heard those concerns and uh, not only acknowledged them, but definitely agreed with them. And as part of that, there wasn't really any action that this committee took in this meeting other than acknowledging one, the issue, and two, that there is a pilot for two fall sports where It sounds like rather than prioritizing geographic proximity, they'll prioritize bracket integrity, at least for the top 50% of the bracket. I interpreted that to mean the top half of the seeds. So uh, no action here. It sounds like the tennis committee will observe the results of that pilot and see whether or not that's worth applying to the bracket as well. That was really the one other um, meaty topic that really caught my eye. And then lastly, there was a whole host of, you know, upcoming changes that you maybe can expect to see in 2023. Um, So I'll kind of rapid fire through some of these and kind of share my thoughts. Um, The first was exploring potentially expanding the uh, seeds for the individual tournament. So for singles and doubles from, you know, currently 16 seeds uh, on the single side to actually expanding to 32 seeds and then eight seeds to 16 seeds on the double side. So Sounds like the committee has asked um, the head referee to kind of explore what some of these simulations would look like if they were to apply this practice to the draws and ultimately make a decision on whether or not this is something worth considering moving forward. This one's intriguing to me. You know, I think the ITA rankings, particularly on the individual side, given all the issues we talked about with, you know, clinch and not finishing, 
you know, there are a lot of differences, right, in someone being seated, you know, ranked 20, even though we all know they're a top 10 player, whether that's because of injuries, not finishing their matches at number one. So I do think that this could be interesting in providing more parity in the draw, right? We'd probably avoid situations where you see, you know, Cannon Kingsley playing Sam Riffis in the first round like we saw this year. Second, uh, one of the feedbacks that I heard very loudly in Champagne was that the banquet was a poor experience and it was sparsely attended. So ironically, it's it's required. Um, and the committee noted that uh, the attendance is low. And so they're looking for ways to improve the banquet experience, like having the IT awards being done there. The next was that the super regional format is here to stay for now. We all know it's still pretty early. We've only had, you know, two... Um, we've only had, what is this, 19 and 22. We've only had two years of the super regional format. So um, sounds like feedback right now is mixed and we'll kind of wait and see in the future. But two other things I'll call out for 2023 is um, we can expect better streaming for the early host sites. So incorporating into the questionnaire, do you like when was the last time your courts were resurfaced? And also, what are your streaming capabilities? Do you have scoring overlay on your video? I think that's a huge win uh, for for all of us. One of the big uh, big things uh, in 2022 was actually being able to have streaming for all of the host sites. And now not only will we have streaming, but we should also have a scoring overlay as well. And then the last and probably the most disheartening thing to read in the meeting notes, assuming I'm interpreting this correctly, is I think we can continue to expect bad scheduling in 2023 and beyond. You know, for whatever reason, whether it's quote unquote uh, parity or equal time rest, the committee seems pretty hellbent on quote paired matches as close to each other as possible. And so I interpret this as reaffirming the scheduling practice of playing two quarterfinals at the same time for where the winners will will face each other um, and to have uh, both semifinals for the men and women played at the same time as well. Um, so overall, really disappointed to see this, especially on the quarterfinals. I might be mixing up um, how the semifinals are are offered, but rather than maybe doing like a 10, 1, 4, and 7 split out the, uh, across the day, you would just have one quarter, two quarterfinals at one, two quarterfinals at four. I think it's a really poor fan experience. It's going to be a poor broadcasting experience as well, having to make a trade off between those two matches. So overall, pretty disappointed to hear this. Um, and I, I, I really hope it changes in the future. So that pretty much covers uh, everything that was outlined uh, of consequence to us fans in the NCAA Tennis Committee notes. If you are a coach and you've seen the proposal for moving the individual tournament to November, I would love to see it. I'm sure fans would love to see it as well. My DMs are always open at JTweetsTennis on Twitter. You know, any questions, feedback, comments, how do you feel about the move to November? How do you feel about prioritizing TV? Any thoughts that you have on these committee notes, I would love to hear as well. So thanks so much for listening or reading on the No Ad No Problem blog. I will chat with you all soon.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 